how many times have we heard, right? Our child is not just that deaf plus blind, maybe it's deaf times blind. And for some of us, you know, it's deaf to the blind power because it's such an exponential impact to have that dual sensory loss. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. Today we're talking to leaders Jacqueline Izaguirre and Melanie Knapp from the National Family Association for Deafblind, or NFADB. You'll also hear mention of the Deafblind Multi-Handicapped Association of Texas, or DBMET. NFADB seeks to empower families with individuals who are deafblind from birth to earth. Their words, and also mine. Find out how they connect with others and bring information about individuals who are deafblind to Capitol Hill and beyond. So my name is Jacqueline Izagari, and I guess my connection really has to be my daughter, Patsy, right? So because when she was born, I was born into this beautiful community. That's my connection with NFADB, but my official role would be that I became a board member in 2015, and now I guess I'm currently the co-chair of the Policy Information and Education Committee with my partner. Hi, I'm uh, Melanie Knapp. I'm from Texas. And um, I was a member of DBMAT and uh, have been for many years. And I retired uh, as president. And at about a year later, I was going, hmm, you know, I missed the community. And so I had the opportunity to uh, become a, to NFADB and become a board member um, in 2019, and uh, one of my passions is the policy, information, and, and education pie committee, and Jacqueline uh, asked me to co-chair with her, so I am, and of course, I have my inspiration, and um, everything I do is in memory of my son, Christian, who died 17 years ago, and you know, it still goes on. And I continue to love this community and work for the best of the community. Well, I like that you both serve on the um, the Policy Information Education Committee, because I think uh, that's one of the hardest things for parents to navigate, because it's so, you know, dealing with legislative processes and how laws are made is not an easy thing to sort out. It really requires some mentoring and, and leadership and family organizations to get that covered. Well, I don't know that we're necessarily experts here, Emily. I would say that we're kind of right finding our way. Um and we're, you know, we have the support of a lot of um, people already in the field who have, you know, kind of taken us and our advisors to our committee. So we have special advisors to our pie committee. And then um, also, I guess, fair to say, I'm a board member of the National Coalition on Deaf Blindness. And so, you know, they've been doing that for a while. So we kind of tend to rely on um those folks as well to help us to navigate this. 
Um, and we'll get more into your advocacy efforts, but why don't you tell us a little bit about what NFADB is and what kind of goals you all hope to accomplish? Yeah. NFADB is, is a nonprofit, a 501c3 nonprofit. I believe it started officially as a 501c3 in 1994, and it was started by families for families and kind of a bit of Texas trivia. One of the founding board members was a founding board member of DB Matt. She was also a founding board member of NFADB, the National Family Association for Deaf Blind. Um, Pat McCallum was her name. But, you know, what I think they really do is um, they are there to kind of lead families, right? So we have individuals who are members, professionals, organizations, agencies, um, anyone really interested or or serving individuals who are deafblind can become a member of NFADB. So right. it's there for families, but we welcome everyone. And, you know, we were kind of, uh, I think we have more board members than we ever have. There's actually 17 board members and we have four special advisors and we figure around 540 family members. So, well, 540, but they're family. So it could be more than that. Um, we also serve uh, an outreach committee and an adult life committee, and we have uh, 13 affiliate organizations that we serve. And I'm on the affiliate committee as well, which I love. We also have a, which I think is a, a really good thing. It's a family to family connection and it involves NCDB and the state deaf blind projects and uh, NFADB. And it's just a way for everyone to, you know, because it is such a low incidence population and really a handful of, of deafblind people or deafblind children in some areas that they can connect with other uh, family members no matter where they live. Now, I, I've, I've kind of experienced being involved with family organizations that are just for children who are blind or low vision. Uh, it's hard to get a lot of family engagement. And sometimes I wonder it's because it's such a huge spectrum. I might go to a meeting and see families of students who are blind and don't have other disabilities and think, oh, this isn't really my jam. These aren't my people. You know, we don't really have things to talk about. Um, do you find that in the deafblind community that it's hard for parents to connect with like situations? Or it, you said, you know, it's pretty inclusive regardless of etiology. So when they come to you, do they find who they're looking for, I guess, is what I'm asking. I would say yes. So I would say I experienced that, you know, that it is really kind of hard to find your people, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but because NFADB kind of does have this right, this full spectrum that they serve, there's little, little groups within that larger group so that you can kind of connect, right? We have a lot of families whose children have ushers. We have a lot of family members whose children have charge. And so, you know, and then we have all of these other rare diseases kind of within that spectrum of families. And so, I found my people, so hopefully other people can find their people. 
that's a good way to put it. It probably helps that you're on a national level too. So you have, you know, like you said, it's such a small incident disability. In some states, there may only be, you know, 150, 200 kids identified. And in other states, you know, like Texas, it's over 800. So by pulling nationally, I'm sure that it definitely helps with that. Now, tell me a little bit more about the family to family connect. Like, how do families connect with each other? Is it a listserv or is it uh, in person or or how does that work? So I would say that that's coming out of, um, is it Georgia? So that's really NFADB was kind of um, is a big supporter of that family to family community project. Um, and many of our uh, board members are facilitators for those different various groups. And so every time that that's available, I believe it starts like kind of with the school year and it goes um, from September, I believe, to May. And they have typically monthly meetings. And so you're, you're connected with a group, like they have one that is for adult life. And that's the one that I kind of sat in on because I thought that that was important for me, right, because my child is an adult. And so I helped to facilitate that one for, I don't know, a few years. I think that there's different groups. And Mel, I don't know, you want to share a little bit about some that you're involved in? Well, the other committee um, is the affiliate committee that I'm, I'm involved in. And like I said, I think we have 13 affiliates. And those are from you know, all over the United States, New York, New York, and there. And this is an opportunity for for us to connect with them too. And also, um, the affiliate committee were the lead on it. Um, is just to make sure that we are serving their needs as best we can. You know, Puerto Rico is one of ours, uh, one of our affiliate, and they've had a tough time. And I know that. To, We've been trying to help them as much as possible with information and trying to connect. And we as a committee have monthly meetings and we as a network have quarterly meetings and we provide uh, training or information during the these meetings and also reach out to them to see what they want. We have other in FADB and I can't speak to everything they do, but we have an outreach committee that they do a lot. They take care of all of our social media. And that's a, that's a good mention because our social media does really have a bigger presence than our, than our active membership. I think we have like over 3,800 followers just right on Facebook. And so, you know, and then we also have kind of some little, like there's an adult life group that um, has like a little smaller group within our um, Facebook page and they can get together and communicate and share resources and that kind of thing through Facebook. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for families to connect with one another. I know you all have an advocacy day coming up. So why don't you give us some information about that? So we have that scheduled for April 19th and we're very proud to say that that's going to be kind of our first um, deafblind day on the heel, if you will. We are planning to join together like in person. So the in-person can either be um, you're going to go visit with your legislator kind of in their local office or you're going to be in person with us in D.C. 
which we're really excited about. And we're also facilitating some virtual meetings with legislators as well. And so we have this national advocacy agenda that was built. It's not just NFADB's issues. It was built by our pilot year of our family advocacy training and education group, which was what, like 12 organizations? And that family advocacy training was pretty intense. It was six weeks of training. We had homework and everything. Um, (laughs) And we took family leaders who kind of really already had some of that experience. And so it wasn't really like an advocacy one-on-one. It was you know, how do you do this kind of to make systems change? And so from that, um, after we did our six weeks of training, then we went into six weeks of, let's say, discussion to come up with this national advocacy agenda that, um, you know, everyone had kind of their own very important, right, what's important to you, Um And we came out with this national advocacy agenda that is basically two issues, right? We've got a state plan for children who are deafblind in the education system. And then issue number two is to have a state plan for adults, right? Because we really have our children, right, as an adult longer than we have them in the education system. That education system certainly builds that foundation right, and leads to that success, how much success are they going to have, and how purposeful is their life going to be as an adult, but in reality, right, we need that, we still need support even after they graduate and leave school. Did I leave anything out, Mel? No, all I was going to say is um, there, there's a need for improvement on the systems level, and that's, uh, what we're about is trying to train uh, family leaders to uh, carry this torch and to um, the federal part of the law and get these changes and made for these children. And also we all agree, you know, we have quite a few adult children that are members of our organizations and NFADB and our affiliates. And it, is an issue. Your children are in school till, like Jacqueline said, till they're about 20, 22. And what do we have prepared for them? So one of our asks is not necessarily in line with the Cogswell Macy Act Title III, which is where a lot of our national advocacy agenda is, is that we ask for a good transition plan for our children to follow through to the adult with a good transition plan. So hopefully when we go, we want to be able to present not only the educational part of it, but the adult part of it, because they are at home, you know, in the community are for 40 to 50 years. And it's scary that this is not already taken care of. You mentioned state plans. I'm wondering, did you pull that idea from Cogswell Macy? I know they mm-hmm. have stuff in there about we state did. plans. We did. So when we started this whole, that second six weeks, right, where we're kind of having these really kind of intense discussions about what's important to us, right, and what do those issues want to be, um, our advisor, the the woman who was facilitating our discussions, had advised us to, you know, 
we really probably need to have to ask, right? And not get crazy. So it was like, oh, but, you know, Cogswell Macy is really important to us. So what we decided to do with our to ask was, you know, okay, well, we want two state plans, right? One for that education, right? And then one for the adult. And so we took all the pieces out of Title Three of Cogswell Macy to say, and where do we start? What should that state plan include? Well, we, we really need a great definition for deafblind. Mm-hmm. How do you define it? How do you identify them? Because that's where it really starts so that they are labeled, I guess, for lack of a better word, but more importantly, so that they're getting the services that they need. We started there. And then what's important to, to serve them in that uh, educational setting? Well, we need to make sure that we have qualified personnel. And that qualified personnel includes those teachers of deafblind and interveners, right? Because those two really, they need each other. It's a team approach. And then what's more important there is we want that intervener to be recognized as a related service, you know, just like O&M services are recognized as a related service. That intervener is really specific for a child who's deafblind, they're going to understand that child who's deafblind and what that means to have that dual sensory loss, right? How many times have we heard, right? Our child is not just that deaf plus blind, maybe it's deaf times blind. And for some of us, you know, it's deaf to the blind power because it's such an exponential impact to have that dual sensory loss. How do they have access to that without that one-on-one intervener there to relay all of that communication and to tell them and describe their environment to them? They're not going to have access to that free and appropriate education. Well, that's exactly, I'm thinking about my own son and uh, forgive me, but uh, Christian, um, one of the rain, the main reasons I do that this is because Christian didn't have an intervener until he was 20 years old. And so um, for him to access that environment around him or have access to communication, and he, he had a great experience, which is fortunate, but, but he had to wait for it a long time. And I, you know, all the bad memories he must have had. We had to break through those for for an intervener that that was trained uh, by Robbie Bleha, I might say, and worked with him for three years and changed his life and changed our lives. So made me a huge believer of this process and the intervener model and the relationship that our interveners and teachers of the deafblind need to have with their children that they're working with. I neglected to add, too, that we also added in that state plan that how important technical assistance is, right? Because where would any of us be today without kind of the support of our state deafblind project, right? Um, And where would the professionals be, right, that first time that the child who enters into their school district who is deafblind and they're like, oh, you know, what do I do? You're, I know how many times we sat across in an ARD meeting from, you know, the teachers or the professionals at the table who are like, oh, deafblind, right? And they have that deer in the headlight look, like, what are we going to do? So, yeah, 
We need that. So, and then we already talked about the transition plan. So this being with NFADB is afforded me personally um, a way to express myself through um, my advocacy and helping other family members to maybe like with Jacqueline, I keep, and forgive me, Jacqueline, but it's the parent's story. It's the child's story that makes a difference when you're advocating for your child. And when she, she is very private, but I do, um, she getting better talking about her why that she's here. I'm proud of you. So <laughs> So if there were other uh, families or professionals that wanted to participate in the Advocacy Day, how, how could they get connected with NFADB? So the plan is we'll do our family advocacy training every fall, and then we'll kind of stay in touch and build this network of family advocates so that every spring we are, well, every spring that there is legislation in session, we will do a on the heel day for deafblind. So that's our plan. And so, you know, it's real easy to kind of connect. It's on our website. Um, go to www.nfadb.org. And if you just kind of want to give us a trial run, right, a one-year membership is only $15, but you're getting more bang for the buck if you join for a lifetime member and become a lifer like Melanie and I uh, for a hundred dollars. We've put put the news out that we're looking for anybody that wants to reach out to their legislators on April 19th or around that date. So we have several people that will be in Washington DC, but like Jacqueline said earlier, they can meet with their legislator, you know, in their local office or via Zoom. And if anybody feels like they have that energy to, uh, or have a story to tell that they need to take a look at our national advocacy agenda. And if we can help them with that, to directly get in touch with us would be my name, Melanie at NFADB or Jacqueline at nfadb.org. We're just that passionate about it and we need passionate people. Even if you're a professional and you can take that hat off for a minute, right? And stand beside the families that you support and add your voice to ours. You know, we welcome you. I think you guys have hit all my questions, but I, is there anything else you wanna add or any other resources you, you wanna make sure you mention for families of uh, individuals who are deafblind? I would just say, you know, our website has a lot of a lot of links to um, they have our partners, the NCDB National Center on Deafblindness and Helen Keller National Center. <clears throat> and so, you know, if families are looking for information because maybe they've just started their journey right in this deafblind community. I know for me, that was important to find that information. So if they're on that search or maybe they've been kind of on their journey for a while and they're just kind of needing to reconnect, or maybe there's a new diagnosis or whatever. There's tons of information on our website and there's tons of information on our partners' websites. So I would say connect, you know, look there. 
I agree with you, Jacqueline. And also, um, I've also talked to, I worked in the medical field and I used to, in the special needs clinic at a local hospital where I live and also a, uh, it was a teaching hospital and they, I had the opportunity to, to meet families that needed the services or the information. And I always worry about that too, because when I left, I was hoping that that would be carried on. And I think if it isn't, that's something that needs to be done to go into hospitals or clinics that have special needs children in there for that uh, deafblind piece of it, because I think we are missing a lot of children in the United States. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, where those, whether they're being misdiagnosed, whether their families don't have a voice or can't have a voice, we want to speak for all of them and make sure that they are all found and served. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Thanks to Melanie and Jacqueline for sharing their own stories, the needs of individuals who are deafblind, and information about the important work of NFADB. Their emails can be found in our episode description, along with a lot of important links. From the TSBBI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.